everybody, it's Allie, and welcome to our YNR chat for Sunday, October 28th, 2018. I am struggling so hard this week to wrap my brain around all of these Abbott family developments. In a lot of ways, I'm bumping up against my personal experience with the show, my knowledge of the history of the show, my perceptions of some of the characters on the show. In a lot of ways, I guess that's true to life because even the most idyllic families have very deep secrets. And a lot of times all you have to do is dig a little bit deeper to learn that anyone's roots are kind of messed up. And yet at the same time, I have very positive feelings about the Abbott family, specifically about John Abbott as the patriarch of the family. And there were moments throughout the week where I felt like maybe John's legacy was being sacrificed a little bit to redeem Dina. I don't know if anybody else felt that way, but it, it really, like, I've been very torn watching this week's episodes and the developments, specifically around this secret document. We learned that Dina drew up a document in the 1990s when she had returned to the show somewhat briefly. I do remember that somewhat, uh, but unbeknownst to the audience or anyone else, Dina had drawn up a document that gave Ashley sole ownership to all of the patents for all of the products that she developed for Jabot Cosmetics. I guess it was supposed to be an I'm sorry for abandoning you and lying about your father, here's a present sort of document. And Dina was able to convince John, who she wasn't married to or involved with at the time, to sign it. Uh, and, and I'm assuming also that he never really knew the paternity part of it. So this was all Dina on the surface, I suppose, giving Ashley a gesture of love and fairness. But to me, right off the bat, it seemed like it was giving Ashley an unfair advantage. Bear with me, because I don't know the terms of the Abbott children's inheritance, but it I, I believe, I could be wrong, but I believe all three of John's children, well, I guess four of John's children, including Billy, have an equal share of company stocks and bonds, don't they? Don't all of the children share in the stocks and bonds equally, in addition to the salaries that they may or may not collect from their employment with the company? And then... All of the Abbott children also have 
voting power on the board of directors, no? So the issue of who holds what position at Jabot is entirely separate from the financial terms of their inheritance. The Blood Abbott Clause never affected any of that. But now this secret document that Dina gave as a gift to Ashley awards her additional financial inheritance above and beyond the other children. Ashley now has additional stake in the company. And that seems wildly unfair in the other direction. Dina did explain to us that this was a move she made when she came back in the 90s trying to reunite with John. She apparently had observed the power dynamic between Jack and Ashley, believed that Jack was being unfairly rewarded by John and, and bolstered because he was the firstborn son, and Dina wanted to convince John to sign this document as a way of putting a measure in place that would protect Ashley from Jack's power. So Jack is such a rising star, so, and, and by the way, subtext known only to Dina, a blood abbot, that poor helpless Ashley might end up getting left behind, might end up getting lost in the shuffle. At, Dina was concerned that Ashley was the one who was going to get left behind? Ashley is about as helpless as a tiger. Now, Ashley has the unfair advantage, and it further pushes your other daughter, Tracy, to the bottom of the heap. Like, it is really unhealthy to pitch your children against each other in this way. It is really wrong to have favorite children. And Dina and John in the 90s when I was watching the show decided that they thought Ashley was the one being treated unfairly? What about Tracy? <laughs> the baby? What about Tracy? Dina even said, oh, Tracy has her writing. I mean, Jack's obviously going to be a star, and Tracy has her writing. So we had to protect Ashley. And Tracy doesn't have anything to contribute to Jabot anyway. So, in effect, screw her. I'm, I'm sorry, but I'm just blown away about how horrible that is <laughs> to do to your children. Now, granted... This document would only have given Ashley a modicum of control back in the day when it was created. But since it's being revealed 20 years later, I mean, why didn't they not tell Ashley about it at the time? Wouldn't there maybe have been some benefits to telling Ashley at the time? Like, hey, we're going to give you this. Go out and develop more. Wouldn't that have been incentive to her? Go develop some new stuff for this company so that you can own the rights. I don't understand the logic between keeping it secret. But now that it 
it's being revealed 20 years down the road, the company has grown to a point where, if honored, these patents that Ashley owns would give her total control of Jabot. She would personally own all of the company's products, or nearly all of them, since she was the one who developed nearly all with all of them. And in the position that the company's in now, they really couldn't even afford to buy her out. So when Jack realizes that this document exists, he does not even waste a millisecond trying to get rid of it. Jack takes those papers and he shreds them to pieces right in front of Dina's crying eyes. The look on her face She's just gone through it, probably using every ounce of energy she has left in her to even know where these documents are and to discover them. And now she, she has Kyle lurking around who was also trying to shred the documents. And then Jack comes to her, convincing her that there are far better ways to look out, out for himself, I mean for Ashley, than by keeping these documents. We should definitely shred them. It's just not in my best, I mean Ashley's best interest. <sighs> look, you know, I said it last week and I'll say it again this week, nobody's perfect. Jack is just protecting his own legacy the way that Ashley was trying to protect her legacy last week. There's nobody here that's moral. It's just tit for tat. So I didn't feel shocked at all by the fact that Jack would shred the documents. I knew he was going to shred the documents. There was no way that he was going to let that happen, especially not after what happened last week. Ashley was determined to protect her role in that company as much as Jack has always been determined to protect his. Plus, what goes around always comes around in Soapland. <laughs> oh, I think it's, it's unfortunately the nature of what this family has become. They're far more like Newmans now than they ever were. I do miss that balance. I think Tracy is the only one who sees that very, very clearly, that what they've all become is the antithesis of what John wanted, the antithesis of family, the antithesis of everything that they say they are. All of this wisdom coming, by the way, from Tracy, the disposable one, the writer. Oh, she'll be fine. She doesn't need us. She's just the baby. Tracy's the only... If anybody here has cause to feel resentful, it's Tracy. And yet, she chooses... Chooses. Her words. She chooses to rise above this. She chooses to put her family first and try to do what's right for the individuals in the family as well as the family as a unit. She ends up having this very brief 
conversation with a distressed Dina. Like after these documents have been shredded, Dina goes home. She's very upset and Tracy's able to to pick apart what happened. Dina's talking all about how John just shredded her secret safe documents and Tracy is smart enough. I mean, she is aware enough of what this how this game gets played now that she runs to the Jabot office, she grabs that paper shredder, she pops it open, she dumps all of the pieces on the CEO desk, and she pieces together those contract pages like the crafty girl that she is. Probably even used some Elmer's glue or something. You go, Tracy! So Tracy knows exactly what happened, but she sits on it for a minute. And the next day, she approaches Kyle first with kid gloves. She was so kind, <laughs> so kind and so easygoing with Kyle. She was giving him the benefit of the doubt. She was giving him an opportunity to come clean about what happened last night at the office with Dina, even though Tracy knows exactly what happened. But as always, she is disappointed by the family's choice. They've obviously, Jack and Kyle, have chosen to put the business over the family itself. That, by the way, being something that she willfully has decided not to do with her own life. And so she just ended up sitting there watching Kyle lie and squirm. I was so excited when Tracy called that family meeting. I mean, we have had countless emergency Abbott family board and family meetings lately, but this... <laughs> this meeting actually had me smiling with anticipation. I was actually looking forward to finding out what Tracy had in mind. Would Tracy do some kind of big, dramatic, powerful bombshell reveal for the truth about Ashley and her inheritance and what Jack and Kyle totally did? It didn't look like it because the entire first half of that meeting was devoted to bringing the family together, almost having a little counseling session amongst them, and Tracy leading the conversation, talking about some of the family dynamics. Um, the things that got them to the point where they are right now in the first place, like really digging into these roots. And that conversation is what kicked off this long series of flashbacks that we saw all week long, giving us the backstory to what really happened in this household before these characters were ever even introduced onto YNR. 
uh, we were pretty much seeing things from the time span of around when Dina left, around when she abandoned the family. And the first set of flashbacks that we saw was a scene where John was buying a brand new car for the family. It was a fa it was a car that he thought was gonna make Dina happy. It's something she had her eye on. He thought this was gonna be some great big surprise. He does surprise the children with it. He tells them, come on, let's go be a family. Let's go for a joyride. Let's go for a trip. Let's watch a movie and get some food. But Dina is so flippant and she is so resentful and she refuses to go along with the family. I don't know why she was so hateful toward John. Why? Like, what did John do other than apparently working a lot that really made her disdain, have disdain for him this much? Like, he doesn't, he still, despite all of this, does not seem like that bad of a husband or father for that matter. And yet Dina refuses to go along for this family ride. She has other plans, which we kind of know might be her like sneaking around with other guys. <sighs> I don't know why she should be expected to change her plans just to make her kids happy. Okay, I just, I have to side note this because I get that the marriage is falling apart at this point for whatever reason. You can never really know all the dynamics of someone's relationship, but it's been well established that Dina and John were not a match. But why not even just fake it for the kids, Dina? They're literally begging her to go along on this car ride and she just kind of coldly removed herself just later saying in private to John that she doesn't want this life anymore. Not even just that she didn't want him anymore. She says she doesn't want this life anymore. Hey, Dina, um, hate to break it to you, but you chose to have those three kids. So this life is your responsibility now. Do you guys want to know where Jack and Ashley learned to never take any responsibilities for their actions? Look no further than the mother. Okay, I know we can judge a mother who abandons her children all day and all night. It's never going to be right. The more... I guess important to the main story and also surprising to me part of all of these flashbacks was that the flashbacks were kind of establishing within the story that Jack was Dina's favorite child. We kind of already knew this, but what Wyanar really dug into this week was the fact that Ashley was John's favorite child and also that Tracy was kind of lost in the shuffle. She was more an observer of the family. And I can attest to that to a certain extent. I never really felt like John treated his children 
all that differently though. Again, I started watching in 93. I never got the feeling that John treated Jack and Tracy as less than Ashley. I always could see that John was very doting with Ashley, that he had a special, unique bond with her, which you should, you should kind of have something a little different with each child. Um, and I do think also that John was firm with Jack in a way that he wasn't with Ashley or Tracy. So I, I, I can, from my own experience, attest to the fact that there was some difference in the way that the children were treated. And frankly, I 100% buy that, that Jack was treated a little bit differently because he was the boy. I think boys were raised differently then. It's, it is the truth. Um, your father was probably raised differently than your brother, who was probably raised differently from your son. It's, it, it, it I, I agree and have seen in my own family that boys were expected not really to show emotion, um, you know, it, it, in this time. Uh, and I think also Jack was expected to, to be a man at an early age because there was an expectation of a company to take over. Again, that's that's a dynamic that I think a lot of us can see, that the, the son is sort of expected to follow along in the family business. And also Jack was expected to help raise the family after Dina had left. So there were a lot of enormous pressures that were put onto Jack as a boy and so I, I do think that John probably did give some preferential treatment to Ashley over Tracy. And that is the part that really, I think, bothers me the most this week. All of these years, I watched and remembered John calling Ashley my beauty. And I... And, it never fully dawned on me the way that it did this week about what it must have been like to stand in Tracy's shoes and watch that. That's, you know, it doesn't bother me that John called Ashley my beauty throughout all of these years because I thought it was sweet, you know? I mean, I think my daughter's beautiful and I tell her that I think she's beautiful, but I don't have another daughter who's standing off on the sidelines thinking, well, why doesn't daddy think that I'm a beauty? That is wrong, that is wrong. Um, like I, I always have had very positive memories of John Abbott um, and, and, and it did put it into a little bit of a different spin for me thinking about all of the self-esteem issues that Tracy ended up going through in her life. Um, I mean, she really struggled with her weight and feeling secure in her marriages for her entire life. And I wonder if a lot of that did stem from the fact that maybe she didn't feel beautiful or she didn't, she didn't feel like the beautiful one. It is so, it is just amazing to me how miserably Dina and John kind of failed <laughs> with their family. All of these children, what all of the children needed, Jack and Ashley and Tracy, was 
their parents' presence and guidance. You know, there was nothing else that they really needed. They needed the parents to be there. There was a, a haunting line in that scene with the new car where Dean is telling Ashley, who's begging her to go on this ride, Dean is telling her, I'm not going to go, but I'll make it up to you sometime. I guess we're supposed to realize that the 90s became sometime <laughs> and that this was all, this whole document was part of Dina trying to make it up to Ashley but I, I don't think that additional inheritance or protection from each other from the other siblings is exactly what the children needed they didn't need to be protected from each other they didn't need more money they needed the parents. <sighs> I, as Tracy was leading this family meeting, was starting to lose hope that she was going to say anything about those documents at all. <laughs> it was pretty tight-lipped, and I thought, is Tracy just going to keep this a secret forever? Just to keep the family from coming any further apart? But no, <laughs> no, Tracy did decide to expose that secret and she did it in the most Tracy-type way possible. She made Jack do it. Tracy, who's the youngest of all the children, might as well have just looked at Jack and said, Now, young man, you tell Ashley what you learned yesterday. <laughs> oh, that was glorious. And Tracy produced the shredded documents for everyone to see. She even made a copy. Clever, clever girl. Tracy's been in the background through all of this warring, but that doesn't mean she didn't pick up a thing or two. Tracy's seen as the soft one, but that doesn't mean she's the dumb one. She's smarter than both of them combined, frankly. So, there's no denying it. The document's there. Ashley's staring at it in disbelief, reading about her patents that are now hers. And she is saying, and Abby is saying to her, that this means that Dina did love me all along. Dina loved Ashley all along. This document proves it. I am sorry, but again, I do not see at all how this document equals love. Nope, you're not gonna convince me of that. Love would have been sticking around. Love would have been being there at Ashley's science fair when she won that blue ribbon for making soap with all natural ingredients. <laughs> or if the damage was done, Love would have been in the 90s when you came back to do this whole document thing, bonding with her, doing everything you could to try to forge a relationship with her, never stopping, 
Even if she turned you down, you would have persevered. That's love. That's love. But okay, it is being presented to Ashley and to the audience and everyone else as a sign that Dina had given consideration to Ashley's future, knowing that she wasn't a blood abbot. Even though they had this difficult relationship, this was Dina giving some consideration to Ashley. A round of applause, Dina. You are a good mother. I was wrong. Yo, no, I was wrong. You were, you were a good mother. <laughs> oh, and, and, and now everyone's standing there letting this information sink in. But there's one little thing that isn't addressed right away. Why are those documents shredded? Why is this very important set of papers glued together? <laughs> and Jack and Kyle are just sort of standing there in the background, kicking dirt. Tr Tracy says, I think I'm gonna let Jack and Kyle explain to you why these documents are shredded. <laughs> and Kyle comes forth. Kyle is like the businessman. He's the, he's got to sell this. He's got to sell what he knows he and his father did to the rest of the family. And he's looking around like, oh, us? We didn't do anything. We were at church last night. We were busy worshiping the Lord. Please. <laughs> they both looked so guilty. Having to admit what they did and then let it sink into the rest of the family. Like up on the high horse last week about everything Ashley did. And now low to the ground about what they just did. I would be curious to know if in reality, would those documents still be legally binding even if they were shredded. Because according to Michael Baldwin and also the Jabot attorneys, apparently the answer is yes. Those documents, I like I was expecting that it was a moot point because the documents had been shredded, but no, I guess they're totally legitimate. So now we have to deal with that on top of the fact that Jack did this to Ashley. Like Ashley was persona non grata last week, and now this week she holds all the cards. If she would have known that a few hours earlier, she probably wouldn't have gone on her apology tour because early in the week we saw her apologizing to Abby, trying to reconnect with her daughter. We saw her asking for forgiveness from Billy, like expecting him to just do a complete turnaround in a day. But most surprisingly, Ashley gave me complete and total whiplash Doing, uh, do, doing a complete turnaround on where she was last week at this time. She was approaching Jack early in the week to mend fences. Last week, she said she was never going to say she was sorry. She was never going to forgive him. And then early this week, they're both working it out and agreeing that maybe it's best that they both don't work at Jabot for a while, you know, so that they can focus on healing the family. 
Ashley's disgusted with Jack that he would do this to her. This is just reinforcing everything that she thought about him. And it's telling her that she's right for everything she did to him. So she flies off out of the house to go speak with her attorneys. And immediately, Jack begins to scramble. He's thinking about the business. The business in his mind is number one. I think it's because it's the only thing that John left behind. It was one of his main responsibilities was to keep Jibot together. And now he's scrambling thinking that they're going to have to buy Ashley out of those patent rights. And all the while, Tracy is screaming in the background, Jack, this is not about Jibot. This is about family. It's never just about family. I mean, it's always about Jabot. I think that Tracy's heart is in the right place. Tracy thought that she could just bring all of this to light and that would force everyone to get a real good view of how low they have sank and then to atone and then to start to heal as a family and find a way to move forward. But this family is so badly broken, apparently. They're so far down the path of destruction that maybe the only thing that's holding them together is Jabot. Um, Ashley does return <laughs> to the house where everyone's gathered and... I love how fully realized in her power she was in that moment. Like, she looked at all of their faces and said to them, Wow, I wish I could patent the look on your faces right now. It was so good. That was such a great line, and it was so well delivered. Eileen Davidson is so good, better than she's ever been, which really makes the fact that she's leaving sting even more. She tells the family that, oh, she doesn't want to be bought out, so don't even bother. What she wants is to be reinstated as CEO. That's what she's wanted for so long. It's not about the money. For her, it's about the respect. Ashley feels and has felt for a long time that she is more talented and she is more qualified to take this position than, than anyone. And she also feels that she would have had this position all along if she were the firstborn son. It's kind of has this interesting royal vibe I was thinking about this week. Um, and the fact that, you know, in, you know, the, the, the king and the, and the queens of England and the fact that it's like the firstborn child and his children get everything and all of the other children get nothing. Like if you're second born, you're SOL. <laughs> And it's that way in our, uh, with our Genoa City royal families. Um, but, you know, she wants to be the CEO. It's not going to happen. The family decided last week that they were not going to let it happen. So they're not going to be able to change their mind. For some reason, the family, the Abbott family, seems to believe that none of the Abbott children should be running the family, not Ashley, not Jack, not Billy. 
And Tracy doesn't want it. So for some reason, they've decided that we're just going to say no to Ashley. We're going to say no to everybody. And so Ashley decides that she's just going to take her patents and leave town. You're not going to give me the job that I want? Well, fine. Then I will take my ball and I'll go play somewhere else. Ashley's going to Paris. She is leaving. Just let them see how far they can get along without her and without her products. I mean, she is going to cripple that company on her way out. She had all the cards and she played them. Ugh. And I think that's going to be it. I mean, I think we might see Ashley uh, maybe Monday, maybe Tuesday. But I think she's, I think this is the itch. I think she's gone. She's going to Paris with her patents and everybody else left behind is just going to have to figure out how to make it work. And in the previews, what about this? In the previews for next week's YNR, it looks like Phyllis is making a bid for the CEO of Jabot position? Seriously? Phyllis? Um, okay, first of all, wasn't she supposedly the original reason why Jack put the Blood Abbott Clause into place? He wanted to keep Phyllis's hands off of that company. <laughs> and now she thinks she's qualified for the job? I honestly don't know which was the bigger shocker from those previews. The fact that Phyllis was was applying for the Jabot CEO job or the fact that she had gone back to having red hair. I could be wrong, but I would maybe even bet <laughs> that Jack would vote Phyllis into that position. And you want to know why? Because he's a sucker for that red hair. <laughs> That's his nickname for her. Red. Is it a coincidence now that she's gone back to red hair and now she's wanting to have that position at the company? I don't know. You tell me. I, I, what, here's what else you can tell me. Do you think that a non-Abbott should be in charge of new Jabot? I am making that our poll question for the week. Like, do you think Jabot should remain a family business? Like, just not let Jack or Billy have the company for reasons I don't really understand? <laughs> should they go with an outsider? I don't know. Let's weigh on who weigh in on who we think should be in charge of New Jabot. Um, and and do you think that it makes sense to hire somebody who's not a family member? YRChat.com. To me, I just think having Jabot in the hands of a non-family member is so crazy. I, I would think that they would rather maybe do a co-CEO thing between Jack and Billy, maybe even Tracy, or give the CEO position to Abby or to Kyle. It's pretty clear that the next generation Abbott feud is brewing between those two. Abby and Kyle have been snipping back and forth at each other and it escalated 
did quite a bit throughout the week. Uh, I'm sure that that's going to be our newest rivalry over that family business. I just would think that they would, that the, that either Abby or Kyle would make more sense as a CEO than putting a non-family member in control or in charge of making decisions uh, for the company. I don't know. You tell me. I want to see those poll results and some comments on that this week. I am probably thinking, though, that instead of Phyllis, maybe Jack might throw a vote toward Kyle. But there also was that scene early in the week where Phyllis was begging Jack for forgiveness for having that affair with Billy. Phyllis is all, I thought I was living out an epic love story with that guy. That guy. Yeah, I mean, you guys were in love like two weeks ago. <laughs> I'm I get that relationship is as dead as a doornail while Jack is looking mighty love struck in that scene I think that Weiner is moving us right back to Red and Jack and right back to Billy and Victoria I'm sure everybody's antennas went up this week when Billy had that little bit of a flirtatious run-in with Victoria. Billy admits to Victoria that he got back at Phyllis by having revenge sex with someone else, and Victoria tells Billy, well, I'm kind of surprised I didn't get that booty call. And Billy tells her, well, no, it couldn't have been you because I needed the revenge sex to be meaningless. And with you, it wouldn't have been meaningless. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh-huh. And then... Billy and Victoria are bonding and being all cute with their little Halloween costume competition with the kids. Hmm. I wonder if we're going to see those two canoodling over the candy bowl next week. Please, please, please tell me that next week we are going to have a breakthrough on this whole mysterious blackmailer situation. Please let it be a really cool, spooky Halloween reveal that ends with like a crack of thunder and a flash of JT's face that's lit up in a bolt of lightning outside of Sharon's brand new country kitchen window. Please! I just wrote it. I just wrote my ideal ending. I loved Sharon's cute little country kitchen, by the way. That is so my style. I have a cute little country kitchen. And I just was looking at all her stuff there and I was like, ooh, I wanna hang out at Sharon's house because I think that a kitchen should be happy and homey and it should always have a splash of yellow. <laughs> And it did. I put a screen cap of it if you guys didn't uh, have a chance to look at Sharon's new kitchen. I don't think we've ever seen her kitchen before. Um, and all these years, have we never seen her kitchen? It was at the very least remodeled. And the fact that we had that set tells me something's got to be going on there. Why else would we out of the blue get a kitchen set for Sharon? Hmm. I don't know. I don't know.
Well, we did have some development on the blackmailer situation. Mariah revealed to Sharon that she's been getting all of these hang-up phone calls, or she's answering the phone, and somebody's breathing, <laughs> heavy breathing on the other end, I guess, and then they hang up, and uh, then maybe there's something a little weird that's happening in the fact that Mariah keeps thinking that she's being followed. I mean, in Mariah's mind, none of these things add up, but in Sharon's mind, it's a huge red flag, bunch of hang-up phone calls, someone following you. I mean, Mariah said, well, I was just listening to a true crime podcast while I was driving. It could have just been me being paranoid. Sure, that must be it. Was that the first time that YNR has ever mentioned a podcast, though? <laughs> Podcasts must be really ramping up in popularity. I don't know that I've ever heard anybody mention them before. Um, so I thought that was kind of cool, at least. Well, all right. So we have the whole somebody may or may not be following Mariah thing. And then Nikki decides to pay the other $249,999 payment that they owe to this blackmailer, but we haven't even heard anything further on that. We know that the money was wired, but no further communication has been given. The blackmailer is probably not just going to go away, I would imagine. Um, well, okay, so then the other thing is, I, I do think this is going to be ramping up Halloween week, which is next week, because the previews that we saw on Friday have Nikki inside Victoria's office at Newman Enterprises. She is all in a flurry because she has found out that there is a broken water pipe at Chancellor Park, and this pipe has been broken right around the spot where JT's body is supposedly buried. Are we going to be biting our nails all week long with these women thinking that some construction worker is going to discover the body only to reveal that there's nothing there? Nick calls Ray out about being a Mr. Nice Guy with Sharon. Nick says, I see right through you. If you really want to be a friend to Sharon, then you will back off of her. Let us get back to the business of starting the family that we were going to start. I still want that. And I do think that Nick is right to an extent because Ray is being the rebound guy pretty hard right now, but it's also clear that Ray is being the lonely guy right now. His relationship with Sharon is no longer just about this JT case. It's no longer about the fact that they just work together. They are confiding in each other about personal things. Ray revealed to Sharon that he wanted a family with his wife. He wanted children, but it sounds like his wife didn't want that. So I, I'm not sure. I can't wait to find out more about Ray's wife. She is definitely not going to be the Jabot chemist 
that we'll be seeing. I had predicted that a couple of weeks ago, but that chemist's name is Carrie. She's supposed to debut in October, and next week's the, ne the last week of October, so I would imagine we're going to see Carrie soon, but Ray's wife's name is Mia. And Ray has made it clear that Mia is not an appropriate topic of conversation. Abby tried to make good on her mission for Nick, and right in front of Arturo, she asks Ray about his wife, like if perhaps his wife would be moving into his new apartment with him. And Ray quickly puts a squash on that conversation. In fact, it seemed a little bit to me like both Ray and Arturo didn't really want to talk about Mia. Nick also had a conversation with Arturo trying to get more information about Ray, but didn't make much headway on that either. I just get the feeling that all of this is leading toward we're supposed to be suspecting that Ray did something and it's going to flip onto Arturo. I can understand, I guess, that Nick is concerned about this man that Sharon's been hanging out with, but I mean, how bad could he be? He's a cop. It's not like it's going to be found out that he's some seedy criminal or something. If we're going to be real with ourselves, we have to admit that Nick Nick just doesn't want Sharon hanging on with Ray because she do he doesn't want Sharon moving on. He's not really afraid that she's in any danger. He just wants to find out some kind of juicy dirt about Ray so that he can present it to Sharon and get rid of his number one rival for her affection. And Sharon did not like it very much that Nick was butting up into her life, by the way, telling Ray to back off of her because Sharon tried to ask Ray if he wanted to hang out later, like go see a movie or like get something to eat. And Ray had to turn her down. He was kind of doing what Nick asked and he was backing away from Sharon. Maybe Ray was thinking that Nick had a point and also maybe Ray was thinking that Lola had a point. He is married. When Ray told Sharon that he and Nick had words, Sharon had to go confront Nick about Nick confronting Ray. <laughs> it was a little bit funny the way she went in there like, but out of my life, Nicholas Newman. But Nick has this way of pulling her back in. Like, there's no doubt in my mind that Sharon still loves Nick. Her feelings didn't disappear overnight any more than Nick's feelings. And they bonded a little bit over little Christian's Halloween costume. I mean, they were trying to build a family just a couple of weeks ago. And now Christian is going on with his life and his things that make him happy and feel secure. And he wants Sharon to be involved. Little Christian was looking at Sharon like she was a mother. And now, because Nick and Sharon are so irresponsible, they... If they do end up coming together as a unit, it has to be just friends. So sorry, little Christian. I know you're only three years old and you've already had like three mommies, but just, you know, go ahead and buckle up because this is what
what your life is going to be like. Probably in a few months, you'll have a new mommy, somebody we haven't, somebody we haven't even met yet. What a wonderful and yet agonizing week for Lily and Kane fans. I have to hand it to YNR for continuing to keep Kane and Lily's story in the spotlight for all of these weeks, even though they've sentenced the character to prison and the actress has gone off on recurring. Has YNR ever done that? before? I don't think so. It must just be the magic of modern filmmaking. I bet you that YNR probably filmed all of these Lily in prison and visitation scenes in a day or two, and we've been seeing them over the course of a month or two, I bet you. And I think they've done a really good job. I, I, it really ultimately has been very impressive. I really loved the early part of this week where we started out with Lily in her prison cell and she is imagining herself doing something that would have been so commonplace just a couple of months ago, just having a romantic dinner out with Kane. This is something that they used to do quite often and she's imagining herself sitting at the club and she's just checking her makeup in a hand mirror. Something so simple. Uh, the tiniest little luxury, checking your lipstick in a hand mirror, and just becomes a, an, an imagination for her. And then flash to reality and Lily is sitting in her bed making a DIY lipstick from M&M's and a DIY eyeshadow from the glitter on one of the cards that she received from her children. That just touched me just watching her do that. I mean, it is the, she said, it's the little things that make you feel human. Human. You know, as if she feels like an animal, just like a caged animal now, and putting on a little swath of M&M juice, M&M stain, made her feel like a woman, like a pretty woman again. I wonder if in that moment, Lily was at all worried about herself not looking attractive and Kane seeing her that way. And I wonder if she was wondering if part of the reason, like in, I can't imagine how being in prison would just chip away at any sense of security that you have. And I wonder if she was thinking that part of the reason Kane didn't show up last week was because he was finding her less and less attractive. And I wonder if that was part of the reason why she was finding a way to put on her makeup. I was really, really pleased to see that Devon and Neil came together to give Kane that support that we were talking about last week. We were complaining about the fact that he didn't have anyone to lean on or just to talk to. And we did have Devon and Neil bringing him in and trying to give him what he needed. And so when Kane does go to the prison to meet Lily, he's in a much better headspace, but he ends up getting a visit not from Lily, but from the warden, 
And we find out that Lily has been placed into isolation because she got all caught up in a conflict with these other prisoners. And now, even though Lily was just trying to protect one of her little new friends, she's become a target. And so for her own safety, she has to be kept away from the general population. I mean, she can't even walk to the waiting room to see her visitors. That's how bad it is. Like, she could be murdered. Ugh, it got real. I felt so bad for Lily, because knowing who she is and knowing her heart, she was probably just trying to do the right thing and to correct some of her behaviors, and it ended up getting her um, into a worse situation. Well, after a few calls with Michael Baldwin, we were at least able to get an appearance from Lily, and she was finally able to have her visit with Neil! Wow! <laughs> Can we just get a round of applause? for Neil and Lily coming together, finally. Um, did Christoph St. John look a little puffy to anybody else? I thought maybe he'd been sick. I wonder if some of this absence might have been due to an illness or something. Um, or maybe it was just due to the timing of the scenes, or maybe he had a little bit of work done. I'm not sure, but he did look a little bit different. Uh, but still, I don't care. <laughs> Why and our fans worldwide can now breathe a sigh of relief <laughs> that Neil finally visited his daughter in prison. And yet, at the same time, I'm a little disappointed because I so enjoyed complaining about it. <laughs> well, um, Lily tells Kane that for her own safety, she's going to have to be relocated to a different prison. And it's going to be further away from Genoa City, like four hours away. So the family is going to be able to see and visit her less, and the audience is going to have to see and visit her less. Ah, uh, so after all of this time, knowing that Crystal Khalil was going off onto recurring status, I we I guess we kind of kind of got a semi goodbye to Lily. Um. It was very unexpected. I mean, I didn't know we were going in this direction. It was very sad. Lily gave Neil a hug, asked him to look after her family. Um, she hugged her kids, told them to stay good and to stay strong. And she had this tearful kiss with Kane. And you know what, though? The moment that really honestly did literally bring me to tears was Lily's goodbye with Devon. He like used sign language to say to her, I love you. Like this was just a thing that only they kind of knew. This was the most special little moment between them. That was so right. Whoever wrote that and decided that was the direction, that was such, that was just so right. It completely brought me to tears. It just about gutted me. Oh, so like, so that's it, I guess. I mean, it was the 
actress's decision to go off on recurring, so I can't complain about it too much. And all in all, I think that keeping Lily in prison, but sending her further away was kind of a clever way to end this series of scenes. It will give the actress a break, but it will still allow us to see her on occasion. I was getting a little bit tired of that visitation room, by the way, truth be told. I mean, Y&R did a good job of trying to shoot it from different creative angles to make it more visually interesting, but like Kane said early in the week, I swear I can smell the mold in there. <laughs> so I was kind of getting tired of seeing it. Um, I guess then, yeah, we're not going to be seeing Lily for a while. In retrospect, I think I should have seen it coming because that whole imaginary date scene with Lillian Kane, the, the, the makeup and the romantic voiceovers that they did and the kiss, it was so very clearly a goodbye, an ending for now. Sex crazed barracuda. <laughs> Who said it? <laughs> I'm gonna give you the answer. The answer is Mariah. Mariah was commenting on Phyllis and why Sharon would be hanging out with the sex crazed barracuda who slept with her fiance. Of course, we all know it's because they're bonded by that homicide, but in Mariah's mind, it's like, what? She's a sex-crazed barracuda. A lot of people guessed that Mariah had that choice little line. So big time shout outs go to Lynn, Sherry, Mary Kay, Keisha, Henry, Rose, Tina Cole, Juanita, Mary Ann, Jamie, and Diana, congratulations. Let's go with something a little deeper than sex crazed barracuda this week. <laughs> so here is our line. Who said it? Sometimes you have to look back before you can figure out how to move forward. So insightful. Who said it? YRChat.com is our website, and if you think you know, go there, leave your guess, get it right, and then get your shout out on next week's YNR Chat. I didn't get a whole lot of comments about Lily and Kane this week. I think that if there hadn't been so much else going on with the show, that probably would have been our number one storyline, our number one top story. But instead, I mean, everything with the Abbots just blew up. And I kind of feel like Lily and Kane got overshadowed a little bit. Um, but Diana did leave me a comment saying, I thought it was very very sweet when Devon used sign language with Lily, telling her that he loves her. It reminded us of Devon and Lily's history together as brother and sister, and that Devon didn't have his hearing when he and Lily first met. Also, Lily is lucky that Devon forgives her. Not everyone would be able to do that. It shows us that Devon's kind it shows us Devon's kind-hearted and forgiving character.
Of course, I agree. And I think that moment was so important because it really told us how far Lily and Devon's relationship had traveled. And I think we needed that specific moment to be extra special because we know why Lily's in prison and we know how Devon felt about it and felt about her. Um, and of course he was making phone calls to senators to try to get her out of prison and all of that I think really helped provide a little bit of closure on the Lily prison storyline. I bet she's gonna be back. I, I really can see that that will happen in the future. Do you guys think, I mean, Crystal Khalil has gone off the show for a while before and come back. I can see her just needing a break, needing to try a little something different, but I mean, she's Lily. I don't know that I want to see a recast. I'd rather wait a little bit and let the original uh, actress come back. But why don't you tell me if you think she could potentially be recast in the future, if not Oh my goodness, we had a lot of comments about the Abbots, of course, and all those flashbacks and just the the dynamic of the family. I think that was the storyline that was really hitting the nerve this week. Um, Gary says, I'm loving Tracy's contribution. I'm loving her taking charge and moving center stage. I'm loving that she is the hero that somehow with paste and glue and inner fortitude, she pieced that shredded contract back together and has given Ashley her rightful place in the family hierarchy. I love this comment, Gary, because literally, I think Tracy was the paste and the glue this week. She was pasting and gluing together the pieces, not only of that contract or of those legal documents, but also of the story. Tracy was our narrator this week. She was the one who's trying to bring it all together, and she did so beautifully. It was well written, and what a nice opportunity for the actress. Um, I think she's just absolutely wonderful. I keep always every week, I think now, saying, I want more Tracy and more Tracy. Well, we're getting more Tracy. It's wonderful. Gina really loved those Abbott family flashbacks, saying it took her right back to the early days of YNR. Um, Gina also reminded us that Jack and Ashley were in their 20s when the Abbots premiered on the show. So Gina especially liked how YNR showed us the scenarios of the Abbott family as young kids growing up, what they went through. It really gives us a good insight as to why the Abbots find themselves in the predicament that they do today. It really is a wonderful wide open opportunity for the writer, wasn't it? I mean, there the fact that one of our core families on the show had this wide open empty space that could be filled in is a, a great opportunity. It's also a little sticky and tricky though, isn't it? When you start going into, uh, you know, rewriting or writing back stories of characters that have been on the show for so long, it can get you into trouble. I wonder if the majority of YNR chatters felt that it was well done or if it left a little something to be desired. Feel free to, to weigh in on that this week. 
Diana says, I am surprised that John Abbott actually had a favorite child. It doesn't surprise me with Dina, as we kind of know what kind of person she was, but I'm disappointed to know that the father of the Abbots and the person that everyone always speaks so highly of actually had a favorite. It doesn't seem like it fits his character and his family morals and beliefs. I would think that John Abbott would love all of his children equally. I do too, Diana. I think that John Abbott did love all of his children equally. I didn't ever get the impression that it was anything but. And like I said, I think that's created a little bit of a, um, a, a bump, a speed bump for me on the story that I'm trying not to get too hung up on. But it the these flashbacks have definitely challenged my opinions of John, which were always very, very positive. I mean, maybe it's one of those things where someone, you know, becomes more than they are after their death, and it's been a little while. I mean, shoot, I think John's been dead for 10 years at this point, or close to it. But um, yeah, it's, it's really difficult to see him as anything but this wonderful, loving patriarch that the children have always presented him as. But yet, at the same time, that's probably kind of common, right? I mean, a a lot of families have secrets that the children end up participating and keeping, whether they know it or not, and it almost seemed like it could be plausible that the, I mean, when Tracy is saying it, that maybe there could have been more to the story. Nobody's perfect. The other thing I was thinking of is, I mean, I'm so glad I had my child in my late 30s because if you, you know, raising a kid in your late 30s is different than in your late teens or your early 20s, which I assume John and Dina were young parents. I can't imagine the ways that I would have screwed up my kid if I was young and raising a kid. I mean, parenting is hard. It's hard to give them the right values and not just tell them what to do, but to show them how to do it, how to live. Um, I just, I wonder if the fact that Dina and John were so young and they had all of these troubles in their marriage, I mean, it makes sense. I Guess that there would be some problems, but yeah, um, I mean, preferring one child over the other, but I bet that happens a lot too, honestly. Even, I mean, I, I'm an only child and I only have one child, so I don't really know that dynamic, but I bet there are a lot of families where it's kind of clear that there are preferred children. I mean, it's natural maybe, I guess, to bond differently with the different children. I can't speak to it, but, but that was part of my challenge also, watching this week's show, is my perceptions of of John Abbott bumping up against what these characters are now telling me. I, I guess I, I have to believe them, but it is hard. This is a great follow-up from Daisy saying, I loved the going back in time storyline. I hope they do it again, maybe for Lily. But I think it's time that Jack took personal responsibility for his own actions and not use his childhood to excuse his current behavior. John loved him the same as Ashley and Tracy, but their childhood perceptions may have been different because the mother left and also the age gaps and stuff, um, or and such. This is a good comment also, Daisy, because it speaks to the fact that we're getting everything through the lens of the children now. They can talk about how they felt and maybe they can come together and piece 
things together, uh, but it is. We're getting things through their lens, and the childhood lens could be a little bit skewed. Children are sensitive, and it really wouldn't take much to make one maybe feel differently about one parent or the other, or I don't know, I mean, it could be a, a lifetime. All of this could be completely true, but I think it's, it is sort of important to keep in mind that these are perceptions, and I do also agree with you about personal accountability. There are a lot of people who hang on to the things that happened to them in, in childhood for so long because it is so deep, but there is a point where you should be evolving past it. You should start to focus on the person you want to be as an adult um, and, and hopefully, you know, evolve beyond the pain of childhood. For some of us, it's harder than others. You know, I didn't have a, a traumatic childhood. Both my parents loved me equally and very much. So I, you know, I mean, there are probably other YNR chatters that can speak to that a little better. Um, Jamie was not feeling those flashbacks, but Jamie says, my biggest issues with Jack. If he had just been up front, told Kyle, no, we can't shred these documents, it would have made all the difference in the world to me as a fan. He just made all this headway with the family. Like five minutes later, he's right back in the same pattern. I know. And I felt the same way about Ashley, too. It was whiplash. Ashley was one way last week, this way, you know, a different way, twice this week. And then Jack, last week he was sitting at that Abbott family breakfast table, preaching togetherness and bonding, and the next episode he's shredding Ashley's inheritance as if it was just paper and nothing more. Nobody's moral, that's for sure. Um, and T. Nicole says, just when it looked like Ashley and Jack were making progress, it can only come crashing down uh, when the shredded documents revealed to everyone. We should have known, right? We should have known that the rub was coming as Ashley and Jack are actually sitting down and talking and being mature. That should have been the clue right then and there that it was all going to go south. Uh, Zuperplex says, Jack's true colors rise to the surface when the question of Jabot's fate hangs in the balance. He has shown that Ashley's suspicions of him are correct. He will stoop to anything to keep control of Jabot. One of the thoughts I had as Jack was shredding those papers too is, did it even occur to Jack that maybe Ashley having some kind of rights over her own patents could benefit the company, could benefit the family. Why was he so automatically determined to destroy? He automatically went into his protection mode. I understand that he was protecting his legacy, but you were just ripping into Ashley for doing something kind of similar, for lying. Um, why did it not occur to Jack that maybe if Ashley Ashley had some rights to her patents. It might give her some additional incentive to want to stay and work together with the company. Uh, it was just, especially when he had just had the bonding experience with her. He could have taken those papers to her and he could have been the one to present it to her. That would have been the ultimate olive branch. And if Eileen Davidson weren't leaving the show, maybe we would have seen that evolution in Jack's character. But we all knew that something had to break the family to give excuse for the actress to leave and to give us the drama. T. Nicole says, I think Ashley owning the patent 
patents for every product she created is a nice gift by Dina and John. Yes, it could bankrupt Jabot, but they're Ashley's creations from her knowledge and skills. It makes sense for her to have ownership over them. What would Jabot be without Ashley's developed products? If Dina and John decided it's Ashley's right to have ownership over the patent creations, then Jack and Kyle do not have right or authority to decide if Ashley should receive her gift. It's not their place to make that decision, regardless of the impact on the company. Oh, I agree with that uh, morally, absolutely, T. Nicole. Uh, I, one thing I do, I think it's interesting though, is I'm, it's sticky when it's a family business. But there are a lot of researchers who work for companies who don't own the rights to what they're developing. If you're employed by the company, you are developing and researching things for the company on behalf of the company. Like say you were in pharmaceuticals and you're researching cancer drugs. Um, you don't necessarily get the patents to any discoveries that you make. You're being paid to do that on behalf of the company. I still don't understand why Dina and John would not have wanted Ashley to have this information at the time. If they had given it to her at the time, that could have, again, been a, a, a wonderful gift and a wonderful incentive for her to continue to work hand in hand uh, with Jack and with the full company. But I mean, it's just like, the thing is, the more we dig into the story, the more what comes to light is the fact that Dina and John were kind of both screwed up. And I don't know how I feel about that. But haven't you ever, um, like there's other stories that have been told, or maybe you've had personal experiences where you find out something about somebody after they're dead. Like people don't feel comfortable saying things when they're around, but then like grandpa dies and you find out something about him you know? So maybe that's what we're seeing. I, I don't know. Oh, Laura felt like this whole thing was kind of a toned down reveal by Jack. Laura says, I was wanting Ashley to throw the, to throw the chair through the window and have Ted come upon it and say, what the? Yeah, right? I mean, like it was a little bit toned down when Ashley did finally find out about what Jack did. She should have hit the roof, especially when she just watched him have this big old violent reaction. It is true. It does feel like everything was so big and so like explosive last week. And then, and this week it was just kind of fast. Almost like we were just trying to get, like, cram all of this in in one week. This could have played out for another two weeks and given us a lot more dramatic mo opportunities like that. I mean, Ashley did have a very disgusted look on her face when she realized what Jack did, but she could have got in there and wrung his neck. Um, I mean, she could have thrown a vase or something, and she didn't. I agree. I was thinking that, too. Like, this could have been more. Um... Daisy says, I hope even though Eileen Davidson is leaving, that she or another actress returns from France, then with the fortune she made in France, buys the failing Jabot. Hmm. So yeah, Ashley's taking her pants. She's probably going to go off, start her own company with her products that will be competing with Jabot. Who knows if Jabot's even going to survive all this, but it would be interesting to see her come back. Uh, I'm just, I'm, it, all of this has just left me yearning for more Eileen Davidson, not less. I want more Ashley, not less. 
Gary asks, will Ashley be taking her mother with her to Paris? Now, I know um, Gary kind of asked this question and then followed it up by saying that he didn't really think so, that he didn't really think that was going to be the direction, but I'm not so sure. I wonder, Wynar's got to do something with Dina. The fact that Ashley's going to Paris, which was Dina's hometown for a very long time, could mean that she wants to take her with her. I don't know. I mean, it would be a complete, like, again, another 180 of the character. She w had a makeup moment with her mom, though, after it was revealed with the documents. Maybe she will decide to take her away from all of this craziness and the other kids will agree. I wouldn't rule it out. Oh, let's switch topics here. Talk about these margarita mamas. Justin says, I read that Mackenzie is supposed to return to YNR. My guess is that she is the blackmailer. Ooh. And Chris also had that idea saying that Mackenzie was all about finding JT. And then she just stopped asking Victoria about it. Yeah, I mean, I did read that casting update that she's coming on. I don't know the exact date. I should have looked that up. Sorry. But Mackenzie is coming back to the scene. She could be the blackmailer. She could be working with the blackmailer. Um, hmm. Yeah, what if this is all one big scam by Mackenzie? I don't know. Yeah, uh, here's another theory. Leslie says, wouldn't it be great if the blackmailer is Adam, it's a long shot, but I'm dreaming big. <laughs> yeah, he would. I think he would ask for more than two fifty thousand, though. I don't know. I'm, I'm been stuck on that number. I don't know. I'm just, I'm not gonna be speculating anymore about who it is because we have no clues whatsoever. I just. I feel like next week's the week. We have finished up the the Lily storyline. We have finished up the Ashley storyline. Next week, I think we're going to see Fallout from Jabot and follow Fallout with Kane and the kids. But I believe we're going to be ramping up this uh, JT blackmail or whatever situation next week. I hope so anyway. Oh, last week I asked you guys if you think that Summer is going to end up pregnant with Billy's child. Mary Ann says, yes, I think so for many reasons. Number one is that YNR has not had a child born in over a year, and that was Kane's child. I hadn't thought about it, Mary Ann, but you're right. We haven't had any new babies on the show, and they do definitely need to keep their their bloodlines going. Uh, Bernie notes that if Summer's pregnant with Billy's child, that will make Phyllis a grandma to her ex-boyfriend's baby. <sighs> yeah. <laughs> Sticky. Ellen voted yes, just so that Nick's head can explode. <laughs> but then maybe a soap opera style miscarriage? Yeah, I would say if they did make Summer pregnant, I think a miscarriage would be a, a more likely scenario. Um, Tina Cole says that Victor's reaction to this would be priceless. Then mix in Nick, Victoria, and all the Abbots. How could that not be great TV? Uh, Zuperplex had voted no on the poll, saying that the character of Billy for me has sunk so low that I've lost my desire in investing my time in seeing him on the screen. 
Um, that was a minority vote though. 82% of you believe that Summer's gonna end up pregnant. 18% saying no. Um, I don't, I, I, I think I voted no though, honestly, I'm trying to remember where I was last week at this time, but I think I voted no. Um, I think it would be potentially juicy, but I just think YNR might be wanting to do a clean break with Billy and Phyllis. Move Phyllis on over to Jack, move Billy on over to Victoria. Summer just creates a complication for that, and I think that YNR has bigger plans for Kyle and Summer and Lola to be the triangle of the uh next year we'll see though you never know um gosh there's always so much going on here mary ann this is an interesting comment said that the uh, latest soap opera digest dishing with digest podcast features an interview with the actress who played chloe she's currently on general hospital but they asked her questions about her latest stint and exit from yr she did say that at least she was not killed off she got to attend her own funeral <laughs> was that last year at this time that chloe's funeral was going on was that our Halloween storyline from last year I thought that was an interesting full circle moment um well I should probably get going pretty soon because I did that extra long YNR chat last week and my camera battery died Julie says Allie I love the extra long chats I just need to invest in a new camera battery <laughs> that's my my biggest hurdle to doing longer chats um Laura also wanted to to comment that I analyze the characters and the plot lines so deftly I must be able to write essays in a snap <laughs> um, yeah those are two comments in response to last week's uh, YNR chat I did feel like I nailed that one sometimes I just I get on a roll and I'm like oh that was a good YNR chat I wrap it up and I think mm, that was a good one and then other times I wrap it up and I'm like I don't think I did a very good job <laughs> Hopefully this one, it's probably not my best, but probably not my worst. I'm just gonna like shoot for that middle, middle area. Anyway, thank you for all of the positive comments about YNR chat. That really makes my day, makes my week. And on that note, my camera battery's flashing. <laughs> it's telling me it's gonna run out, so I better hightail it, but you can come on over to yrchat.com, leave me some comments, vote in the poll, all that good stuff. I love hearing from you, and I will be back next week to give you all of my YNR thats once again. Hey, I hope everybody has a really good Halloween. I'm looking forward to maybe seeing some costumes on the show. And if you have a costume, hey, feel free to send some comments on the website. I think you can post a link or something and show me your costumes. I hope everybody has a very safe and fun Halloween and enjoys our Halloween week on YNR. Okay, I'll be back next Sunday. I love you guys. Bye!